Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. It's a real delight and a privilege to be able to share these great resources with you week on week. Now today I'm joined by Max Pescatori and she's the CEO of the Montessori Centre International, a leading provider often facilitator in the provision of Montessori training to meet the needs of the early years communities in the UK and around the world. It provides the sector's marker of quality assurance through its standards, training and accreditation review framework. Resources are made available to parents and carers through its online hub, the Montessori Network. Now, just before we find out much more about all things related to Montessori, here's a quick thank you to our sponsor. Scientific SOS, written by Daniel Phelps, is a unique children's adventure for young people aged 8 to 12 and even to adults. It's where science meets adventure. It's not a science book, it's a children's adventure novel which has science in it. Five pupils, each with their own particular gifts, are thrust into a fight for survival and exploration that opens up the beauty and wonder of nature, science and the universe. Scientific SOS inspires children to look at the world with fresh eyes and curious minds. Riddled with riddles and poetry, it uses the power of narrative to help understand concepts deeply and remember facts. Children learn best whenever they are interested in something and enjoying themselves. This book does just that. It offers a new creative vehicle to add to the teaching and learning toolbox and creates a relaxed and enjoyable learning environment, perfect at any time, but especially now. Scientific SOS provides a perfect platform for discussions and encourages children to ask questions. So it's not only ideal for loan reading or as a class book, but perfect for homeschooling too. Scientific SOS can be bought on Amazon, both in Kindle or paperback, or find out more at scientifica.com. That's Scientifica with an X, X-I-E-N-T-I-F-I-C-A, scientifica.com. Hi, Max. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. I've been talking in recent weeks a lot about how the education system and the way we learn could be so different from the mainstream. And now we have the opportunity today to talk about something which has been in place for 100 years or so and is different. So I'm really excited to talk about exactly those comparisons. So thank you very much for being here. Mark, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it genuinely is a delight to come on and uh, talk about this uh, really hopefully interesting topic for people. Fantastic. Well, why don't we start with a little bit of um, of your background? I believe it's not purely from an education standpoint, so I'm interested to hear a little bit about that journey. Yes, yeah, so I came at education through a sort of jigsaw puzzle, I guess. So I started as a chartered accountant way back then and spent over 25 years in multinational corporations. Um, during that time, I was extremely fortunate. I was able to do quite a bit of travel with my work and um, through that travel was able to work with people from a variety of countries and in different cultures. And of course, through that, uh, the focus really then becomes on how diversity and difference can be such enriching to an individual and, and extending that thought to, uh, to sort of to the broader community. Um, so, you know, whilst I was away doing all of this um, outside of work, the thing that really captured my imagination sort of from my time at university was the outdoors and in particular um, the hills and the mountains. And I've got this sort of deep connection with hills and uh, over the years um, have moved up from sort of going up a small hill 
to going up a bigger hill and then a bigger hill and then thinking, crikey, um, I need to scramble or I need to be there when it's snowy and icy. And uh, understanding that to do that safely, uh, you need some education, you need to train yourself. And was very fortunate to have some wonderful, wonderful trainers along the way who helped me on that journey. Um, one of whom was Plassey Brenning, which is National Outdoor Centre. Um, and sort of rolling forward with a very busy work lifestyle, um, I was spending not as much time in the outdoors as I really wanted to, or not as much time in the hills and mountains as I really wanted to, but I still had this need to be in the outdoors. And so I found different ways to, to, to meet that need. Uh, you know, there's more usual sort of running and cycling and, and whatever else. And then about four years ago, I sort of sat back and thought, you know, it's, just, it's time now to recalibrate. Recalibrate my life, get some balance back, um, maybe do something different, give something back. And the first thing I did was step out of corporate and set up a consultancy. Um, and on that particular part of the journey, I was invited to be on a couple of boards, one of which I'm very proud to say was Platy Brennan, this very educator that helped me out all those years ago. And through that position, um, I started to become really conscious of the, the quality of provision, the, um, the uh, academic rigour, the compliance, as well as sort of the infrastructure that sits around the provision and the, the operating models, you know, how does it get funded and who gets involved and who those stakeholders were. And I saw a completely different side to, to education that I'd seen before. Um, at the same sort of time, um, I was also on a board uh, and the board's chair was a lady called Leonor Stierpich and she went on to become the CEO of Montessori Group and then shortly after joining she approached me and, and asked whether I would be interested in joining her team and for me it just felt like a very natural step know, joining together all these bits of jigsaw that have been slowly coming together through sort of the last 25, 30 years. And uh, so I was delighted, very delighted to to step in. And I always love that kind of, that natural flow of life sometimes. Like you say, you have to make the decisions yourself sometimes. Like you say, you step away from corporate, you set up your consultancy, but it allows the space and the opportunity for these new things to develop. And I think even starting from that standpoint is, uh, is a really exciting way to live, let alone just education generally. Yes, no, exactly, exactly. It's, you know, keeping your eyes open, keeping yourself uh, uh, unbarried and looking around, you know, exploring and uh, things do come your way and you and that you would never have imagined to have come your way or was never on your radar. But this sort of feels like a good decision, a good next step. And then before you, you know it, you've taken a, a path that you'd never written for yourself, but is, which is absolutely right for you. Yeah, absolutely. So, Tell us about Montessori. Tell us um, your role in it, but also let's assume that it's not something that we have any kind of knowledge on at all. And, and so we get that sort of real sort of history through to where we are at the present day. Sure, sure. Um, and you're right. Montessori is a, is a name that probably lots and lots of people have heard of. Um, but very few people can probably articulate really what that is. Um, so I guess in a nutshell, Marie Montessori, um, was uh, the first female medic back in the sort of turn of the 20th century, the end of the 1800s. Um, and she gave her name to the pedagogy, or rather people that followed her gave the pedagogy her name. Um, she was 
pretty, pretty innovative for her time, slightly ahead of her time, as I say, the first female to, to graduate from the University of Rome as a medic. She studied um, psychiatry, which uh, is really more akin to today's psychology. Uh, she graduated, she went into an asylum that was operated through the university and in that context came across a group of children who had uh, mental challenges and started to observe the children and uh, really that's where her research began. She took that thinking forward, she went on to study paediatrics, um, the, the, the medicine around children and the biology of children and really, really very, very innovative. Um, several years later, she was asked to set up um, a school for children of workers in one of the lowest socioeconomic groups in London to allow them, the sort of parents to go to work. And these children uh, came to school. The school was called Casa dei Bambini, Children's House. And that's really where she started to pull together the science, the psychology, the observation, the research, uh, and brought that into the classroom. And she started exactly where she'd started, um, I guess, several years beforehand, which was putting the child at the centre of the pedagogy and started to observe the child. Stand back, observe. Um, how does the child interact? What are their interests? What are their abilities? And then by, from that point of observation, she was able then to create an environment around the child that enabled certain features and characteristics to be nurtured. And uh, it took off from, from there. So, I mean, it, it's such an, an important thing in my life. I mean, I'm the vice chair of the National Association for Primary Education. And, and one of the things that we talk about is a child-centered focused idea of education. And, and that's yep. really difficult in that sort of mainstream. And I love the fact that once you can stand far enough back, it makes so much sense that yep. everything should be personalized. You know, we know that many children, when they come into some kind of struggle or they need extra support, it becomes very personalized. Yes. My personal feeling is the fact that everybody needs that. It's just the fact that it may be that any issues that come up come further down the line, maybe even in adulthood, or if you just want them to thrive, you still yes. need that personal sort of idea of who you are as a child and then and be able to do that. So just explain a little bit about how that works in terms of what people will perceive to be the need to learn or the need to actually be educated as such. Sure. Um, uh, you're absolutely right. So you start with the child at the centre and, the, and uh, you know, we all know, science has proven and it's pretty well understood now that the zero to five, six, seven age range is the most important time of a child's development where there's so much going on for that child and the brain is growing and developing at rapid pace. The synapses are connecting like crazy. Um, the child is going through emotional development and as well as intellectual development. And the features of Montessori are in some ways pretty straightforward and common sense when you think about them. Um, but until you put a label on them, they, they, they sort of can be overlooked. And it starts with observing the child. You work out um, where they are in their, their, their trajectory and you create an environment for that child to actively learn. Um, so you encourage the child to decide for themselves what activity they want to take on. Um, how long they want to engage with that activity. They may complete the task, they may not. The, the, the completion of the task 
isn't the success. The, the, the really important thing is the child tries. So Montessori allows you to try and fail and try again. And by doing that, that um, gives the child um, the respect to determine for themselves where their own boundaries of learning are at that point in time. And allowing the child to make those decisions, genuinely make those decisions, standing back to allowing that, allows the development, development of self-esteem, self-confidence, which ultimately means the child is more likely to come to you when they do reach their boundaries and ask for help. So respect for the learner, um, allow them to uh, have their own voice. Um, I think the, really all the important thing about uh, a Montessori uh, pedagogy, Montessori classroom, Montessori environment is this point of respect and respect for self, respect for, for others. And so the child, uh, as they go through their development, they, be they, they become more aware of the world around them. Um, they are encouraged to be respectful of others. Uh, one important trait that you'll find uh, in a, with Montessori children in Montessori classroom for example is that a child may decide to work on a, a particular activity or, or more than one child a group of children two or three may decide to come together and work on an, on an activity all the activities are placed on lovely shelves that sort of move sit around the room the child goes to the shelf takes the activity off the shelf brings it back to their area engages with that for as long as they wish to and when they decide they've they've done they've had enough they then place that activity exactly into the space from which they took it ready for the next person um, so this sort of awareness that there's um, there's, a, there's a need to uh, be mindful of other people be respectful of other people starts at a very early age so all these features together really nurture what the what is really really key and fundamental in children and adults as we go through our life you know uh, attributes such as um, resilience that we were talking about earlier creativity problem solving self-confidence um, critical thinking you know this these uh, these attributes which I guess get packaged together under the term executive function these get nurtured really really early on in those uh, children that are you know uh, taught the Montessorian way and give us an idea in terms of the way it works in terms of the age in terms of being at school or being part of the pedagogy like you said um, and also how it can work in other situations Sure. So because it's an approach, you know, it's an approach, it's a way of doing things. It's not a curriculum, it's not a system, it's an approach. Um, it's, it can happen from the moment the child is born and it can happen outside of school. It can happen in the home. It should happen in the home. You know, as parents, um, grandparents and friends of um, people with children, we can create the same environment by coming at it from the same perspective. You know, sitting back and observing the child. Where are they? What do they enjoy doing? Um, allow them to spend time doing the things they do enjoy doing, because in so doing, they become very attentive, very engaged, and that helps speed up their development more so than, than otherwise. Um, so it, it starts from birth and it can go all the way through the teaching age and into adulthood in principle. Uh, in the UK, Montessori traditionally sits in the early years. Um, eight, eight zero to five, but it really, really is, is sort of uh, an approach that's there for life, but is really, really key in those early years. Um, so, in terms of 
of the way it works would you sort of go out and find a Montessori school um so you think this is fantastic I want to go and actually be engrossed in this and like say that complete environment um and if you then do that and 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 sort of it becomes part of an integral part of your life and how you want to, your child to develop what then happens after that? Is it a question of them moving back into what would be traditionally mainstream or a normal school in inverted commas, or, or how does that sort of transition work? Mm. So you're, you're right. Um, uh, looking for a good quality Montessori school. Uh, so Montessori is a, a term that's not owned by anybody. So anybody can um, set up a school, put Montessori on the door and um, off they go. Um, one of our key um, pastimes is um, uh, advocating that quality education is key um, and through our accreditation scheme nurseries that wish to be Montessori um, can come and endorse themselves get themselves endorsed through our, our, our framework through our accreditation scheme which gives parents the confidence to understand that when they see that logo and they and, and they know that school is um, is truly reflexive, is truly reactive. You know, practices Montessori to a high quality and standard. So step one is you know make your selection of school, make a good selection by trying to find that quality Montessori school. Um, a good Montessori school will also engage with parents. You know, it's important then when children come up, come away from their classroom environment, that the sorts of things we've been talking about can happen in the home. So allowing parents the confidence to interpret what Montessori behaviour looks like um, is, I think, a key um, a, a key thing that, that practitioners um, ought to try and impart so that the child and the family and the school become one ecosystem surrounded around that child, providing that supportive framework. Um, now, as we know, um, uh, under five education is not statutory, so it's not a legal requirement for children to be educated under five, but then they step into formal education. Um, there are in the UK a small number of uh, primary schools that do practice the Montessori approach. Um, and indeed, one of my colleagues who's just literally a few weeks ago uh, gone on to join International Montessori Institute that we have set up alongside Leeds Beckett University um, was engaged with, was asked to bring Montessori into Garton School just outside of Manchester in, back in 2010-2012. Um, so there are more Montessori-inspired uh, schools uh, in the country, but we do need more. And, and the thing to look for, if we can sort of broaden that out, is um, a school that... Um, uh, adopts those that same approach whether they do it in part or in full they don't call it Montessori the important thing is to have um, practitioners and teachers that uh, approach the education of children in that way to uh, provide that same environment and I guess the um, the training and the accreditation is important because I guess everyone then feels that they're they're on the same page for if not for sort of a better phrase of doing it because I know that I think a lot of teachers probably even get into the profession thinking that of course that's the way forward you know we're doing it for the sake of every child and we want to give them everything that they need mm. and then once you're in the system and we know there's a, a lot of testing and, and and a lot of sort of statutory things that they have to do 
everything else starts to kind of sort of get sort of pushed further and further down yeah. as much as you sort of try and hold hold on to it so I, I can I can understand how the accreditation and, and also the the sense that it actually is an, an entire environment we're all in this together working in this way can be very supportive no exactly right you know and the the accreditation uh, scheme that we have set up and, and actually just in process of enhancing and taking internationally started around 13 years ago from exactly that perspective you know we were hearing from practitioners that practitioners themselves were, were sort of driving for the need to be continually relevant and you know to as you say not forget that important part of their practice is to be reflexive and reactive and um, and uh, and uh, you know, up to date uh, and to keep that child-led focus um, and so they asked us to you know whether we could help with that um, and, and so we started that journey but the, uh, it's very important when you go along that journey that you, it's not a you know it's an exercise not in getting the endorsement but it's really about promoting in that practitioner that um, uh, that nudge that they're looking for that says I need to keep reflecting on what I'm doing and I keep need to react to make sure that I am relevant I'm doing the right things I'm being the best practitioner I can be creating the best environment for that child so the the accreditation is really about continual reflection uh, and not moment in time that say you know I've just ticked a box and I've got a I've got a you know I've got a label on the door yeah hugely important. um and and in terms of of training teachers um Tell us a little bit about how that's working now, because I believe that that's something which is um, certainly, like you mentioned, lead something which you're actually doing to to give people the opportunity to to have that as part of their their sort of training and, and their um, their their work experience. Sure. Well, Montessori Centre International, which I'm as you know, I'm CEO and sits within the Montessori Group, uh, Montessori Saint Nicholas Charities, our sister company, and the Montessori Group has roots back to Dr. Maria Montessori. So around 65 years ago, a bit, bit more than that now, two ladies were taught by Dr. Marie Montessori when she came to London. And they started the teaching in the UK. And um, over the decades that followed, um, that teaching um, would, became innovative. It needed to stay relevant. And so innovation is really fundamental to what we do. Um, Coming through all the way to sort of 2013, 2012, 13, um, we went from providing um, CPD type of qualifications to actually providing diplomas, so level three, level four uh, diplomas in the FE sector, and went on to provide level level three and four in the diploma in the FE sector, and then went on also to provide um, qualifications in the HE space. So we've been doing that for, for some years. Um, it's you know to be to, to really make the momentum of change that we as an organization wish to make globally you know you we want to do that in an impactful way and at scale and you know in recent conversations with Leeds Beckett University um, we were able to find a really fantastic symbiotic relationship where you know they have the reputation have the credibility they've been around for the, a long long time and they have resources we have the skill set, the capability, and the pedagogy, and the application of that into practice, and it seemed like a, a wonderful way 
to come together to create um, the first International Montessori Institute, which will provide obviously, degree level qualifications to begin with. But we have an aspiration that it will become the centre of research for Montessori um, over the next few years. And we'll have you know, sort of PhDs and doctorates also in, in the pedagogy going forward. That's hugely important. Um, the, the provision that's available to somebody who wants to become a Montessori teacher is, is quite broad. The infrastructure is there already. You know, I say we have a whole range of CPD courses where um, those that are Montessori can continue to be relevant. Um, we have co courses that allow you to essentially convert. So if a practitioner is already um, working in early years and has the child development qualification, um, they can come to us and we will share with them the sort of Montessori component. We can share with them the Montessori component and that will then enable them to practice in the Montessori nursery. So everything from level four to level six is currently available to people and uh, it's, it's, it's a really good foundation from which to continue to develop the, the, the provision. And I know you've had some experience in terms of mentoring as well. Um, so tell me a little bit about one, how you got involved in that and also how, how has that developed or changed in any way since you've sort of taken up your current position? Really interesting question, Mark, actually. So thank you. Um, yeah, I, you know, going back to that period of time where I started to reflect around what it is I want to do, the work-life balance, uh, running up to that, um, I had done a coaching course some years before. I had had people come to me informally and I found that I've, that what these things were that I was doing were labelled coaching or mentoring and it was something that gave gave me a lot of pleasure and gives me a lot of pleasure um, but I felt was actually making a difference to that individual um, and enjoy doing it. Uh, now as I've come through into the Montessori world I find a lot of my experiences in life almost are Montessorian. Um, the Montessori approach of being uh, very uh, child-centered and uh, observing and creating the right environment, putting the right things in place, very conducive to providing someone with a, a mentoring type of relationship or a coaching type of relationship. So absolutely, you know, stepping into Montessori world, it's allowed me to identify that some of the things I was doing um, were, were the right things um, and a label has been able to be given to them in a sort of formalised way, so they can concentrate on them and and you know uh, develop them. So, and let's take it slightly full circle back into your education. Um, do you now sort of see that correlation in terms of what you experienced as you were going through the system? I guess both in terms of a positive way. Yes, I recognise this was something that a particular teacher or part of my education was, or the fact that I wish it was more like that, and my experience was different. Yeah, well, so school was a really interesting place for me. Um, I, I come from an Italian family. My mother and father came to England in the late 50s, early 60s as very young, young adults. Um, my sister and I were born in England. And school was a place where I, I was different. You know, we were different. Our home life was different to the home lives that um, my uh, English or British friends described to me. And that, that was sort of a bit remarkable. And, but then when I look round, I, uh, there were plenty of other um, people and friends 
ones who came from other countries in Europe or from India and, and, and other places around the world. And I suddenly realised that actually um, being different was remarkable. But everyone had a point of difference and that was that was a wonderful thing. So already that school environment was um, really sort of conducive to, you know, to the richness of, of tapestry. Um, there are a few teachers, I think, that for different reasons have um, really sort of shaped my thinking as an adult and, and, to, and to some degree um, I can link that back to um, uh, my, my experiences now and looking back and go actually that, that bit was Montessori or that bit was you know, had, had, had traits of it and the, the first person that comes to mind is a, um, a lovely man called Mr Lear um, and I remember Mr Lear I can see his face in my mind's eye you know a mop of ginger hair and this wonderful ginger beard and moustache um, and he was one of my primary school teachers at age of seven um, um, and alongside the sort of in-class teaching, he also taught guitar lessons to a group of us. And so I started to play this guitar. And this is an instrument I had no connection with at home. No one, no one played uh, musical instruments at home. Um, but here he was um, uh, putting into my hands something that was really quite delicate and being able to create, you know, just play around and create sound. And then he could encourage me to make sounds that made sense. Um, and so we moved from playing an A or a D or strumming a C or, or a, an F to start to play some classical music, you know, where, the, um, where the, the, the brain had to think very differently. Um, and all that at the age of seven and eight, um, creating th that place where uh, I was able to enjoy what I was doing and I absolutely loved it. You know, I was completely taken with the guitar, completely taken with even the footstool that you, you know my father bought for me which looks like a mini iron you know and you put your left leg on the footstool and you it allows you to position the guitar in a particular way all of that came together and um completely captured my imagination and he was able to um allow me the space to do that and, and take my education forward on that from that and you know i'm forever grateful for that and that started for me a love of music and and, and me playing musical instruments that went on well into my teens you know and i can list instruments that i've picked and put down over over the <laughs> decades um i really like that as, as a professional musician myself i mean i was in the same position that i found music because i had the opportunity and i had the environment within my school experience to do it it wasn't something that was part of our family makeup particularly um and i think that's why um the montessori um philosophy is so important in terms of that you have to one have an environment that just gives experience and opportunity that may not be anywhere within the child's existence outside of the school and i think that's where the kind of the harmony between the entire community of the, the child exists both within school and outside of school can de then thrive and then that's very very exciting isn't it Abs absolutely absolutely and again it's you know let the child show you what they want you know you just um you, you offer make the offer you know uh, provide an exploratory environment make it broad and the child will tell you um because they've developed their self-esteem and the confidence to do so they will tell you what they enjoy and what they don't enjoy and um, when they do enjoy something they will absolutely become totally immersed in that thing and, and and that's where the engagement really gets traction and 
is there a, a piece of advice you've been given or or, or if you were going to tell your sort of your younger self now something which you would deem to be incredibly important that's got you to this point in your life having had such a sort of a, a broad career and and also whether it might be something more personal that that you'd like to share with everybody I think if I was to talk to my younger self, I, I would advise me to keep my uh, horizons broad, unencumbered and unburied and explore and to do that with a great deal of self-awareness. Um, I would also remind myself that actually um, success comes from the small things in life. So have this wonderful world around you and no boundaries and push out but be in the moment and enjoy those everyday interactions because they are the things that will create the value that will create the the memories that will create the success and wrapping around all of that is a real understanding that um, you have to respect yourself and you must respect others um, and together with all the combination of those things you know we can help each other i really like that um, and it was something that just crossed my mind from from yesterday. Uh, we we hear so much about the fact that children are currently behind because of the the coronavirus situation, which is just something I find incredibly disturbing. That you can even perceive that's the case. We're we're in this world a long time. The the behind bit is something that we as a or we or the education system has put in place that it has to look a certain way, very unchild centred, as 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 we know. Um, and also the fact that while there are trying times which everybody sees to have got together because it's a global thing. There are trying times for people always, different situations, different families, different communities, and that's happening all the time. It's just not something that we're experiencing together. Um, and I think understanding that because that's happening all the time, you can only take each moment. You take each fantastic part of a day, whether it's a conversation, you know, um, a hug with the family, whatever it happens to be, and just acknowledge it for what it is, no matter what situation is going around. And these things will happen and they will pass and it's part of the fabric of life. And I think understanding that balance, like you said, between the where the breadth and the horizon of where you may end up, which you don't know, like you said, but it allows you the situation to experience the small things which take you step by step, I think, to where you're meant to go if you allow that to be the case. And so I think, yeah, what you said there is absolutely perfect from that point of view. So let's just wrap up. Is there a resource? It could be a film, it could be a song, it could be a video, it could be anything that you've experienced that has touched you in such a way that you think actually that's something that has given me something in life which I, I couldn't have uh, anticipated in any other way. Um, th there's just so many, aren't there? You look back and, you, and, and there's so many things that sort of influence you in certain times, but I guess um, one of the songs that um, always comes to me and it's got beautiful link back to my father, my family, is um, we had uh, seasons in the sun. We had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun. And there's a song all to be about a young man who's, who's dying prematurely, he's leaving his parents behind, his family's friends. Um, but if you listen to the words, they are, are so beautiful. They utterly um, uh, set out very well 
what is so important in our lives what you know what gives us um what makes us human what makes us happy what makes us sad what's valuable and what should we should look out to do um and uh yeah it just it will always be there in the background and every now and again i hear it and it jollies me up and jollies me on yeah i love that and i've had two pieces of music that have happened to me i think in the last week or so and it's just that kind of that really took me back to one was a teenager one was to be slightly younger but to something which was very sort of special at that particular time and it's amazing how quickly it can just suddenly take you and bring all that kind of emotion and your entire sort of ecosystem in <laughs> from one sort of part of your life to the other <laughs> absolutely absolutely um well max thank you so much for being here it's as always with the podcast, I love just hearing the people behind what is often a website or um, a conversation with somebody that, that people don't know um, any in-depth of, and it brings the personality and the life and the understanding of, of what it is that we're sharing. So tell us where people can find out more and, and, um, and where they can actually get as much information as they need. Yes, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. It has been a delightful conversation. I've enjoyed every moment of it. Um, but for those people that wish to know a little bit more about Montessori, um, the website is www.montessoritraining.org.uk. Um, there's lots of information for practitioners. Also on the website, there's a section called the Montessori Network, and they are free online resources for parents and anybody else that's interested in Montessori and uh, would like to sort of dabble. So please, Please do get in touch with us. Um, there are lots of numbers there and we're always delighted to hear from people. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing your, your experience and also your wisdom through it. And um, hopefully look forward to having this opportunity to chat again. Uh, lovely, Mark. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you to the National Association for Primary Education for their long-term support of the Education on Fire podcast. To get a free e-copy of their professional journal, Primary First, please go to nape.org.uk forward slash journal. That's nape.org.uk forward slash journal. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.